The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Colorado Equals Security Podcast. This is Alex Wood and I am joined today by a special co-host. Welcome Steve Knight. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So uh, Steve and I uh, worked together for uh, not a whole lot of time, but you know, a little bit of time at at Kaiser Permanente a few years ago and uh, Rob was a little bit ill today. So Steve was willing to jump in and and be co-host with me today. I will be Rob number two. Rob number two. Rob number two. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump into our news. So the, the first story that we had today, uh, Veris Group, which was recently acquired by Coal Fire, um, they completed FedRAMP assessments of several um, AWS services so that they could be used within in government work. So um, I am not the, the biggest AWS person, but this is, uh, I think, pretty interesting. So um, Amazon Glacier... Cloud formation, key management services, um, Elastic MapReduce, you know, a bunch of other services have now been certified for FedRAMP so they can be used for uh, for government work. Yeah, that's really good. The, the fact that <clears throat> Coal Fire was able to go in and do the assessment to gather the appropriate information and give kind of feedback to those that want to use those services, that at least it meets that level of you know quality and certification around FIPS 199. So governmental bodies, even state agencies, might feel more comfortable if they look to move services into an AWS cloud versus the continuing cost of maintaining a data center and staff on their own. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also a big win for, you know, Veris slash um, coal fire, uh, you know, doing this kind of work. Uh, the the government sector obviously is, is one of the biggest sectors that are out there. So showing that you can uh, get things certified through FedRAMP, I think it, it's a really big deal for them. I think it'll obviously get them some more work in the future. Mm, very much. Uh, next on the list, uh, CyberGRX. We've talked about them in the past. Um, a former coworker of ours, Ed Fuller, is over there, I think with maybe even a couple other folks at this point. Um, they um, are looking to be a uh, an exchange for third-party risk assessments. They just got an additional $20 million in funding uh, from Silicon Valley, which I think is really cool. Yeah, actually, this is, this is a great model and a great company. Uh, the service they're providing makes a lot of sense. It's, it goes back to the philosophy of test once, use many. In this particular case, they're gathering the assessment information from uh, third-party vendors where organizations can actually go, pull that information, and get a pretty good idea of where they stand in terms of controls uh, as a third-party vendor and be able to rely upon that information along with whatever additional due diligence they might want to do. Yeah, and I know they've been spending a lot of time building the actual platform that they have to do these assessments, um, you know, to, to do the questioning, um, you know, do the modeling, all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. getting this additional funding, I think, is going to really help them ramp up in terms of people um, because even though they are, you know, uh, you know, based on a computer model, they do have to have the people to validate the assessments, um, you know, the, sort of their higher level tier of assessments, make sure that they're going out and, and validating evidence, other things like that. So this is really going to help them grow in terms of people um, to get those assessments done and really become that kind of platform they're looking to be. Well, and organizations benefit from the value-add service they provide. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on the list, um, Logarithm. Uh, James Carter, the CC- CISO over there, um, we're going to get him on the show and, and interview him um, 
not too distant future here, but uh, he put out a blog post about some uh, free security awareness posters that that they'll <laughs> that they're putting out, as he puts it, free security awareness posters that you'll actually want to use. Um, so it looks like the first one that they have on is on passwords and passphrases. Uh, obviously, a great target um, for for doing your first poster. Um, I think authentication, passwords in general, are, are one thing that um, you know is a big hurdle for people. You know, everyone's trying to get away from passwords, but you know, having good, strong, complex passwords is, is always a positive. Security awareness uh, kind of couples in with this as well, um, which, as we know, the the human is the weakest link in the chain. Um, one other thing to add to this would be for those who are interested in uh, in picking up security awareness for the organization, but not necessarily having to staff it completely. If you go to CSO Online and a few other places, but CSO Online, CSO Online, which is the magazine, uh, in the salted hash section, there's a section where they do security awareness and they'll provide you like four PDFs a year for a certain cost. And it's complementary to what is the logarithm stuff that's provided here. So for roughly 10 grand a year, maybe less, you could actually pull in an entire security awareness program for your small organization without breaking the bank. Yeah, and I know SANS has some additional uh, free resources as well. Um, it, it's great to see Logarithm. You know, they're a SEM company. You don't think of them normally as security awareness. Uh, great to see them stepping up, getting some other free tools out there for for not just their customers, but for the entire community. Sure, another value add. Um, next on the list, uh, this is a, st- a story that Steve actually brought to my attention. Um, there's a woman who is a, a medical student um, and who actually uh, posed as a, I believe as a doctor, um, essentially posed as more than um, more than what she should have uh, been posing as to, to actually treat patients at Denver Health. So I think this kind of goes back to um, just talking about physical security, right, Steve? Oh, absolutely. Uh, according to the article, she was a student from CU and she was supposed to be there to learn but apparently, and they're not going into great detail for obvious reasons, how she was able to alter credentials, but she got to the point where she was able to get in and actually participate in seeing patients. Um, you know, in a healthcare industry, we often worry about biomed devices being, you know, hackable uh, and impacting patient care. But here's a physical example, you know, where a student who was presumably inside the trusted circle was able to circumvent physical security controls and actually get in and participate with patient care. That's pretty frightening. It is frightening. Um, although I, I have to say, you know, I have had uh, treatment from a number of medical professionals that I was a little suspect about. So, you know, <laughs> maybe she was, <laughs> maybe she was smart enough that she's actually good, giving good care. Uh, but obviously, the point here is that um, you know you do need to continue to focus on the basics, um, things like physical security and, and other controls that you might have in place. While it's great to have a you know a shiny new tool or, or something like that. Making sure you're doing the right stuff like physical security is always a good thing. It'll be interesting to see what the after-action analysis comes out to be, why the student decided to do this, because they've definitely uh, brought down the attention of the Denver Police Department as well as the Denver District Attorney's Office. So I hope it was worth it. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if she's good, she may not be uh, practicing medicine anytime soon. No. <laughs> um, uh, last on our list of news today, um, we have a, an article from Google. Um, this is actually posted by um, someone that uh, Steve and I used to work with at, uh, uh, at Kaiser, Michael Janosko. Uh, he left an, an, a few years back to go work at Google. Um, and, you know, he's been doing some of their sort of internal security work, which is it's some cool stuff. You know, we've talked about 
Beyond Corp in the past. I know Rob is is big on that whole Beyond Corp and um, identity enabled security. Um, so th- they put out an ebook this week about uh, how they're doing their tiered levels of security in terms of uh, access. So um, again, you know, the Beyond Corp initiative is is sort of rethinking how how you do corporate security, um, not necessarily the uh, you know the the castle method, um, but really looking to expose things more. Uh, more directly to people, but then, you know, use identity as the method um, to get in and provide the right access to those people. Yeah, looking at the the program and talking a little bit to Mike when we uh, we saw him out at RSA, Beyond Corp is, is really uh, an evolutionary piece for Google right now where they're trying to push more to the edge uh, with less control devices or basically to reduce the amount of hoops you got to jump through to get to a physical device where there's information. So they're using multi-factor authentication, going through what they call an identity-aware proxy, and then also using identity along with multi-factor authentication to gauge the level of access that you have to sensitive applications or sensitive data. Yeah, and uh, it's a fairly detailed ebook. I think it's definitely worth a read. We'll have the, a link in the show notes. Um, you know, really... In the past, it was, you know, sort of binary. You know, you were either in or you weren't. Um, you know, maybe within an application, you obviously had access control. But, you know, this is even a step before that where we're talking about, okay, now, you know, you're getting authenticated. Um, but what's that base level of access that you have just by being authenticated? Can you get to this application that you want to get to? Can you get certain levels of uh, access within that application? Are there other things that you can get to? Um, and I really like the, the more fine-grained model as opposed to just sort of the binary traditional model of, you know, of the firewall or the VPN, either you're in or you're out. And I think it speaks to, to broader informa- or broader language as well in the sense of data classification, right? Yep. Because access, if you're really wanting to use identity to gauge the level of access a person gets uh, to a system or to data, you know, if you get it down to rudimentary root terms, then you're, you're talking about, well, we know what our data is and we know where it's at and we know what its classification or sensitivity is and we know who should be able to get access to it. Uh, obviously, something the federal government seems to have a hard time with, especially in the CIA. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a great point too. You know, you have to have a lot of these things sort of baked in from the beginning. You can't just turn on um, sort of an identity-enabled uh, access like this. You have to know what you're getting access to. So, well, and they're very they're very explicit in that this is the second edition of their best practices, and right now they're focusing on edge. Uh, eventually, they want to carry this model once they test it to other devices. Uh, today, it's mobile devices. Very good. It's definitely interesting stuff from them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check out that link for the ebook. Um, and that's all we had today for the news. So let's uh, let's jump into the uh, events that are coming up. Um, so we've got three events that are this week. Uh, and actually, quickly before I uh, get to that, I was at the, uh, the ISSA happy hour last week, and I just want to uh, say thanks to all the folks that came out to that. It was a good event. Uh, saw lots of people there. Uh, this week, we have uh, three events. The first one, um, automating security in the cloud for AWS. So this is a, a free training from Amazon. Um, it's actually a two-day training. Uh, so I would say definitely check that out if you are, are doing any work with AWS and, uh, and want to learn more about uh, how to do security in AWS. Well, I think it also gives you a little bit of, of a sneak peek into how Amazon conducts cloud uh, services, and maybe even cloud security. And we, Well, in fact, it is cloud security. And then in that instance, uh, if you're looking to use a cloud provider, perhaps this is a good primer to what you should be looking for in dealing with a cloud provider. For sure. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, 
Don't know if I mentioned or not. That's on the 25th and the 26th this week. Uh, next, Secure Set. They're hosting one of their Capture the Flag events. We've had a few of those in the past. Um, you know, these are good events. If you're, uh, even if you're an entry level person, you can come in and sort of get the lay of the land uh, before the the event goes on, and then you can uh, go ahead and, and do the Capture the Flag event. If you are a seasoned person and just want some extra practice uh, messing with stuff, you can just go in there and, and go straight to it. That's happening on the, the 28th at the uh, the Secure Set uh, offices there. Uh, and then the third one we have on the 29th, um, ISSA Colorado Springs is having their free mini seminar. Um, this is a, um, a slightly longer uh, event for them, not quite a conference level, but you know more than just a, a luncheon. Um, they don't give a whole lot in terms of what the topic is, but if you're in Colorado Springs and want to get out and, and talk to them, uh, get a little education in, go for that. So those are the ones that are coming up uh, this week. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. That is on the uh, 9th through the 11th of May. I don't have any specific news for that this week. Um, you know, we have gone past the early registration period. Um, so if you didn't register yet, then uh, then you missed out on that. You still can join as an uh, ISSA or ISACA member if you're not one already and get a discount. Um, definitely worthwhile to do that. Uh, but again, you know, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, uh, we feel like is the best conference uh, that we have every year. So you should definitely go go to that. And then uh, finally, on the, the 12th and 13th of May is Denver B-Sides following Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Um, uh, again, great event, a little bit more casual. Uh, come and hang out, learn some stuff, listen to some people, drink some beer. It'll, it'll be a good time. Absolutely. Uh, so that's all the events coming up for this week. Um, let's jump into the jobs. So uh, first... Ball Aerospace, they're looking for a Network Security Administrator 2. Uh, obviously, that is uh, twice as good as a Network Security Administrator 1. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully, it pays that way. Probably not. Probably not. Um, Ball Aerospace, um, of course, located up in uh, in Broomfield, uh, sort of South Boulder area. Um, CHI, Catholic Health Initiatives, they're looking for a Senior Compliance Specialist. Um, Oppenheimer Funds, if you're looking for financial services, uh, they're looking for a cybersecurity manager for identity and access. That's actually a, a sort of a mini trend that I'm seeing this week. So uh, Oppenheimer Funds is looking for an IAM person. Uh, the next job, uh, Kaiser Permanente, um, someplace uh, near and dear to both Steve and my hearts. Um, they're looking for an executive director of cyber identity and access management. Uh, Steve, I don't know if you have any insights on that particular job. Uh, leadership role over identity and access management, so uh, quite a bit, quite a bit of responsibility and accountability, and reports directly to uh, our good friend Jim Goddard. Yes, Jim Goddard, who I keep pestering to try and get on the podcast. Yes. So, Jim, if you're listening, I'm st I still want that interview. We're coming for you. Uh, next, uh, Palo Alto Networks uh, Cybersecurity Manager for CSS. So that's uh, cybersecurity services. So this is people that are uh, providing the services around uh, Palo Alto Networks gear. Um, so if you want to manage uh, some folks delivering those services, this is the job for you. Uh, Aero Electronics, Information Security Architect 1. Uh, Samir Sate, the, uh, the CISO over there. He's a good guy. I like Samir a lot. He'd be a good person to work for, so you should check mm -hmm. that out. Aero's a, a really interesting company. Uh, KPMG. 
Director of Cybersecurity Services. And again, this one, um, looking at the job description, um, is focused on identity and access management. So uh, if you want to work for one of the, the big consulting firms um, and, uh, and manage some of the folks that deliver their services, I think this is a good opportunity. I think the bottom line for all of these, uh, the three that we talked about, is if you have skills in IAM, you seem to be in demand. Yes. There, the, the other interest, interesting thing to, to bring up is the, the, the development and growth of tech startups in the area, um, from the large to the small. And it looks like Boulder is seeing a lot of activity in terms of Microsoft developing a new com- campus. Google has already started the b- development of their new building, and they're expanding their footprint up there. So it looks like all good news on the employment side. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the final job we have, uh, CoBiz Financial. They're looking for an IT senior risk analyst. Um, so if you have some IT risk management experience and, uh, again, financial services, uh, that would be a good one for you. Um, Steve, on, on your point a minute ago, there's actually one story that I was going to include and I forgot to include today. Um, there was an article in Denver Post by, uh, by Tamara Chung um, talking about how a number of the, the startups, not just security startups, that we have in town are, are definitely maturing sort of beyond that initial stage and are, are getting to be sort of um, mid-tier, um, you know, sort of longer-term companies. And I, I think that that's a really good, um, uh, something really good in the, the evolution of the, the startup scene here in Colorado. One of the things that they mentioned was that, um, you know, because of sort of all the resources that they have around now, um, you know, with uh, with Techstars and uh, Blackstone Executive Network mm-hmm. and other things like that. It's, it's really a uh, not just a place for initial startups, but, you know, these companies are becoming, you know, longer term, bigger companies. Absolutely. Uh, on, on the personal side, I've seen a lot of movement of individuals coming from California to here uh, and being a part of organizations. There was a gentleman that you and I used to know by the name of Darren Yamaki, who was in identity and access management for Kaiser. Uh, he actually joined a small firm, consulting firm out of Boulder, you know, to start providing those services on a national level. Um, you see such things as Ball Aerospace is just now going to develop. They're breaking ground. It'll be ready in 2019 for a new aerospace manufacturing center, which is going to require a lot of security and identity access management specialists uh, to fulfill those roles. So Denver's kind of, Denver and the, and the surrounding suburbs are, start, are starting to grow into uh, like a Silicon Valley East. Yep. Yeah, and of course, you know, we had this story last week with uh, first quarter this year, Denver was number four in terms of uh, VC money. So it's oh, yeah. definitely growing. It's coming. Yep. Yep. All right, so that's all we had for this week. Uh, Steve, any final comments? Uh, thank you for allowing me to join today. And uh, if there's ever an opportunity to come back, we'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Steve. It was good to see you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Um, and... Coming up next, we have our feature interview with uh, John Everson. So Rob sat down with him, uh, and that should be a great interview. Uh, Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See you next time. This is David McGuire, uh, Director of IT Security at QEP Resources. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado Security Professionals, by Colorado Security Professionals. All right, well, welcome to the Colorado Equal Security Podcast feature interview. Um, this is Rob Reck, and, and I'm fortunate enough to sit with one of my friends, John Everson. Uh, John, you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure, Rob. I'm John Everson. I'm uh, the Chief Information Security Officer at Dish Network, and I've been there and for sling. about seven years. And Sling. <laughs> and I've been there for about seven years, actually over seven years now. 
Yeah, so so you've been in Denver for seven years, is that right? I, I moved to Denver from Kansas City yeah. uh, in 2010 for this job. And what, what were you doing before you came here? I worked at Sprint, uh, and I spent 15 years at Sprint That's in various good. roles. Yeah. And um, anywhere from security to running email email systems yeah. uh, to research and development. So when you, when you were brought into Sprint, were you on the IT side? Were you security, doing operations? I don't think I was formally IT, but I had yeah. an, a, a shadow IT kind of role, yeah. but I supported one of 14 different email systems. You guys had 14 email systems? We had 14 email systems. This is back in the, in the mid-90s. So was that for the workforce? This is for the workforce, yeah. Now, was that different instances of the same email systems? Oh, no. Or there's no, 14, 14 different, different technologies? Different systems. I didn't even know there were 14. <laughs> yeah, well, back then, there, there were some mainframe-based email systems that yeah. we, we managed. Huh. But I was brought in to manage CC Mail. Of course you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> CC Mail before Lotus bought them. Well, that's pretty fun. Yeah. So, so you were. So, how did you get from you know kind of managing IT stuff to getting over into security there? Well, uh, one of my bigger projects at Sprint um, was a couple of years in, and they wanted to reduce the 14 email systems down to one. Yeah. And so, the only way to effectively do that across multiple divisions, it was a big company back then, uh, probably over 100,000 people, and uh, mainframe. We had Mac. We had. Uh, Lotus uh, email, Banyan Vines. We had Banyan Vines back then. Um, so the only way to really effectively do that was with an X500 directory. Hmm. So we bought a scalable directory and we customized some solutions that, that was pretty fun to build. And we ended up, because we had 14 different email systems, but no one knew who was in them, right? So yeah. you may have had email in seven different systems, but as an, as an admin, I didn't know that. Why didn't you know that? Uh, we just didn't have that good of provisioning no, records. The visibility. No, people, you need an account, you got an account, right? Right. So we had to first discover, you know, which accounts existed, which accounts were active, and then which accounts were actually being used to send email outbound. And so we, we built this elaborate system to, uh, to identify a brand new email address that was being used outbound and we would hold the email hmm. and we would send a return message back saying, identify yourself. Wow. And they would identify with their employee ID and whether or not that was their primary email. And that was it. It was just, you know, all email based. So, but we, so we you, did that. So you fished your employees. We did. We <laughs> you did. man in the middle of your employees, I got it. We, we actually kind of did a bunch of different security uh, yeah. protocol. Oops. Yeah. 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 But at the end of the, yeah, at the, end of the nine months, we identified all the users, and it was very, 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 very successful. Um, shortly afterwards, uh, this is late '90s. Um, Sprint wanted to uh, to build a PKI, and so they were looking for people who knew directories. Yeah. And I happen to know directories pretty well. You had just done a lot of work there. I didn't know anything about security, but they brought me in as a uh, a low-level manager, and I built Sprint's PKI, internal and external. What year was that? Uh, this is back in 97. Okay. Um, so then over the next few years, I worked in corporate security and we built all kinds of authentication technologies. So was the PKI was really your, your avenue of getting into their corporate security area? Yep, yep. Learned all about authentication, learned about encryption. I knew a lot about uh, LDAP and authentication um, from our, uh, our, our NetWare and Microsoft networking yeah. aspects. Um, but it really kind of cinched in when we started building. We, we built a lot of managed security services for um, folks around the D.C. area. That makes sense. Yeah. Three-letter three people, I assume. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. 
So, so not, starting in '97, you were in security then. Yep. And, and what did you? What all did you do? I guess you were there for 13 years after that, right? In security. Uh, no, actually, I left security in 2001. Okay. Um, I realized that no one wanted to encrypt their files. Hmm. Yeah. So you know, I was I was advertising and marketing encryption internally. I was selling it to the execs. Nobody wanted to encrypt their files. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want plugins for their Outlook to encrypt their files either. So I, uh, I got kind of disillusioned at that time. It was after the internet, um, you know, the bubble burst, and I realized that there was an opportunity to get even earlier in the process and do research and development. And so when, when, uh, when the opening came up, I jumped for it. Yeah. And I brought a security focus to the R&D group at Sprint, who was trying to build some new wireless technologies with this crazy thing called 802.11. Yeah. Yeah, it was brand new. Yeah. Right? And you got you had the opportunity to, to really kind of move into a whole new area, it sounds like. We did, we did. So we were focused on building uh, not only new um, services, but also new new products, new lines of business, yeah. kind of around Wi-Fi, back when Wi-Fi was still c kind of unknown. Yeah, right? that's pretty cool. And we, and we had to prove out that it was secure. So we spent a lot of time digging into um, a lot of the security issues, and uh, during this time, we I managed to get a lot of patents. Yeah. Yeah. So were, how many patents is a lot? I filed for 100 patents, um, and I have 86 to date. And the, the other 14 are maybe in process? They are in process. It takes years and Pat, years to so go you have through the patent office. Uh, I, I don't record all the patent pending ones, <laughs> because a lot of these actually beget other patents. Yeah, um, and then they a lot of the patents get uh, filed uh, internationally too. So well, that's kind of neat. It is neat. Yeah. <laughs> so how how long were you doing the R and D side? Probably about eight years. Okay, from two thousand one to two thousand nine. Two thousand two thousand nine, and then uh, and during that time it was a lot of product development, business development, yeah. uh, proving out new technologies. We did uh, wireless power back in two thousand four. So the whole idea is you can actually charge your phone via a wireless pad. It seems impossible. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> it shouldn't be possible. You need a patent for that too, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. One of, my, one of my favorite projects during that time was, and we patented this too, but it was the idea, we, we were actually doing a project for the Department of Energy, and um, they wanted us to build kind of a public Wi-Fi network, but they wanted to make sure it was all secure. And they didn't want to have a whole bunch of web keys or anything like Do that. Do they know what secure means? Yeah. <laughs> so what we ended up doing is we, we kind of built a hybrid solution. This is, this is pretty fun. So we, we, we bought, uh, actually we, uh, we worked with a company. They're out of business now, RGNet. Uh, we worked with this company to build this gateway. They already had the gateway, but we modified uh, the radius daemon running on that gateway. Yeah. And so basically we told all of the access points to do a Mac-based authentication. So they would get the new, uh, the new connect message from the wireless client. They would pass back the MAC address to the gateway. The gateway was configured to accept all. They were all approved, but it would randomly assign a VLAN back to each unique MAC address. Hmm. So every connection that came in on this open network ended up getting, and actually it wasn't quite open because we did have a WPA key, but um, every connection ended up getting their own VLAN. So even though if, if you and I were competing in this, in this environment, right. right, using the same Wi-Fi network, your VLAN was different than my VLAN, and I could not attack. You have to do some, some kind of max spoofing to, I assume that max spoofing would 
we had defeat this. Or... Uh, max boofing would just get you on a different VLAN. The VLAN of the one of the person you were going for. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Anyway, interesting. I, yeah, it was, it was fun. kind of a fun thing. It was fun. So is that your last game? Dynamic, sprint, or dynamic you VLANs. Run somewhere else after that. Uh, briefly, I, I I developed some uh, some four G devices. Um, that wasn't much fun. So were you there for what, fifteen years? Fifteen years. So, I mean, it's something. Something interesting must have happened after 15 years to make you say you're, you're ready to leave a successful company and, and that you had interesting stuff to go Yeah, on. you know, I, I felt like Sprint was kind of on the decline a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly weren't investing in R&D. Okay. Um, so, I was, like I said, I was, I, was, I was developing 4G devices, which is not nearly as much fun as climbing on buildings and installing radios. So, uh, there was an opportunity here in Denver at yeah. Dish Network, and I knew the CIO. Uh, I worked with him back in the uh, back in the early '90s, even before I went to Sprint. No, actually, late '80s probably. And so he uh, he invited me to come out and help him run security. So so it it does you know it seems like kind of a jump from being an R and D guy for eight nine years to you know going and running a security program for a Fortune 500 company. It was a huge leap. And how, how number one, how do how do you show your qualified for that number two you know how, how was that kind of a transition yeah well luckily I knew the guy right, right? I knew the hiring manager and uh, I, guess, I guess he vouched for me yeah I, I don't know how I landed the you, had some, you had some photos I assume I had so. no photos <laughs> I had no photos a lot of old stories yeah um, but yeah no he, he, we worked together for many many years and uh, he knew my work ethic he knew that I was um, uh, I was a problem solver and that I would roll my sleeves up and get, get the work done so I think that's what he was counting on. So you were hired in, in 2010, was it as director of security for Dish As Network director of IT security, yeah. And and, and you, moved, you moved to Denver for the job? I moved my family to Denver for the job, mm-hmm. and, um, and I've been there ever since. The team that I have now is about 50 people, Yeah. and uh, we started with nine. So oh, it, it's, it's grown, yeah. yeah. But we've had some functions too. So... You know, obviously, Dish is you know it's always on the list of biggest companies in Colorado. Every time you see it, um, big name, uh, you know Charlie's always on the list of richest people. He's he's yes. Colorado's richest man, Charlie Self-made. Ergen, the self-made billionaire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so obviously, a, a big story here, and, and you know you guys do some some pretty cool stuff in the area. I think it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about you know what did security look like in 2010. You, you mentioned nine people. You know what was the what was the functionality there versus what you've done over the years to build it out. Maybe just give us a picture of what it looked like in 2010 when you came in. Sure, yeah, there, there wasn't much of a security program. Uh, we had three guys in a room that nobody talked to. And in fact, I think everybody avoided the hallway. Um, <laughs> occasionally they'd be invited out, but none of their advice was ever heeded. And uh, that was a security team. Yeah. I also, when I started, I had a, um, a provisioning team. Okay. So that was... Um, I think about four people, three, uh, four or five people. Is that just onboarding everyone who joins the company? On, onboarding, but it was all manual. Yeah, everything was manual. Mm-hmm. So a swivel chair. Oh, they're going to want active, uh, active Directory, an email address, Oracle access. You know. So maybe they had a, pe- a piece of paper checklist that they were going to go through to make sure they got added to all the right groups. There and was stuff. actually a, a electronic ticketing. Yeah. Um, but nothing else was automated. Yeah. But they had their own their own checklist that they followed for provisioning users. Sure. It was, it was very manual and very error prone. Yeah. Uh, and then the last group was compliance, which was probably the most robust group that we had. Uh, and that was because we were a PCI shop. Sure. Uh, and they had already passed PCI a couple of years. PCI and I assume SOC 
Sarbanes-Oxley as well. Yep. Socks uh, IT governance controls. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and that was that was pretty much the focus. Uh, policy writing. Sure. They wrote policies. So the, your compliance group did your internal security policies. They, they did. They did. All just to meet the PCR requirements. Sure. <laughs> so so you came in 2010 and you saw where you were and what what were your what was your vision? You know, I, if I was interviewing you in 2010, a month or you know six months in, what would you say you were going to go after? You know, start early on. You know, it was it was going back to my roots of problem solving. It yeah. was as I was interviewing people, or actually, actually, I was, as I was being interviewed for the job, I, I asked everyone, every one of the people that were interviewing me, what, what's the biggest problem with security today? Yeah. And what problem can I solve for you today? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> mostly it was getting, getting quick access to things and then internet access. So it, was wanna, pretty, it was pretty tightened down. I want to highlight what you just said and really echo it. If you're doing interviews and you don't ask the question, What's wrong, or how can yeah. I how can I make you what, successful? What do you need? What could I you know if I, the, the way I ask the question is you know if I've been here a year from now, what will what will I have done to make your life better yes. during that year? How and help them imagine it, right? Right. And and then you go execute on it when you're there. So, you have to. So I, I heard speed. Yep. Get, you know, getting getting better access, being more nimble. Um, was that was that kind of a, a job number one? That was so provisioning wise. People wanted to yeah. have better access. They wanted to have their access. people working day one. They did. They did, and they want internet access. And at the, at the time, internet at Dish was severely locked down. Hmm. So most most people could not use the internet. They were only able to get internal access. Right. So you're a brand new employee. You show up day one. Yeah. You have no internet access whatsoever. Interesting. You can't even Google anything. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a tough work environment. And then you had to go find the form that would allow you to request it. Hopefully that wasn't on the internet. Hopefully that wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't advertised. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, how, how did you address those things? Uh, so, really, I mean, going back to those questions you're asking during the interview, yeah. those become your your hundred day plan. Sure. You need to solve those first because you need to build those relationships, and you need to have the people that you're peers with. They need to be your your stakeholders, and so you need to prove your worth to them. So that was really the kind of the goal. That, and of course, learning your team. Right. You have to learn your team, uh, and I spent really the first the first thirty days. Running around to interviewing everybody else in the company, yeah, and doing the same kind of thing, you know, getting the lay out of the land, Get, trying to build those relationships, and, and it's, you're trying to find the skeletons. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. So you know, over the first couple of years, you know, we could fast forward and yeah. start talking about 2011, 2012, 2013. Yeah. What did you What did you accomplish that you're proud of in that in those early years? You know, getting the uh, getting the security guys out of the room and more engaged in the pipeline, yeah. that was a challenge. That was a challenge process-wise because nobody wanted the security gates in the process. Uh, no one wanted us to review the projects as they were being, uh, you know, going through the intake process. Nobody wants us to do that. Um, but getting that and getting the guys in the public was, was probably the biggest accomplishment yeah. we had. Um, refreshing the tools. Security guys love tools. <laughs> Um, so refreshing uh, IDS, actually refreshing IPS was the first thing we did, yeah. and then investing in a separate technology for our IDS was a, uh, uh, a decision I made that was discussed frequently on the security team, so having two tools to do the same thing. Yeah. So, so we, we were talking about this before we started recording, you know, the way you look at tools and the way you grade them. Would you mind just kind of sharing how you evaluate the effectiveness of your tools and, and where you want to be? Sure, but this is this is relatively new. Yeah, so okay. we've we've made a lot of investments over the years, and um, it got to the point where we had so we had more tools than we had people, yeah. and we were trying to figure out how are we managing those tools. 
are we managing them effectively? Is, is the tool being used to the, to the, best, ability, the best of its ability? And what we ended up doing is, is getting a, uh, just a grading score, like, a, like a, a high school, junior high school grading score of A through F. Yeah. And so we have the team actually rate all of the tools. And everybody rates it all independently. And then we aggregate all the results. And what's the criteria? A means what? And F means what? And, and A means that it is uh, completely patched, running the latest signatures or filters, and we're eyeballing it every day. And it is, you're, you're proud of it. Yeah. You, would, you would want to bring people in from the community and show them how effective that tool is. Sure. Right, that's an A. It, and an F we, means it's sitting on a shelf somewhere and maybe it's not being used, or I, if it's I, used, we don't know it? I think it's running. Yeah. Uh, and I looked at it last week and it was still running. Okay. That would be an F. Okay. And what do you do with those grades? Uh, we, we evaluate the, the tool to see if we need to either invest in some training, uh, bring in new resources to help manage that tool, yeah. or eliminate the tool and buy something else. And so we did this recently. Yeah. Uh, last year, maybe it was two years ago, we took one of our bigger tools uh, that was getting probably a D, and it was up for renewal. Right. Uh, you know, the end of life, end of life, the hardware, and it was up for renewal. And so we ended up trashing it and buying a brand new tool in a different space. Just you know, using that budget money to to just ultimately reduce the risk of the overall company, right? Right. Yeah. It required yeah. very little approvals because we were reusing Cause money because it, yes. it was already in, it was already in, in budget. budget. Yeah. So you know, during the seven years you've been there, can you can you highlight a project you've done that you're especially proud of? That's, you know, that maybe was more difficult than you, you thought going in, or something that people said couldn't be done. Well, the project that I'm probably most proud of would be on the fraud side. So my team does uh, we do I just we do compliance, um, we provision user still, BCDR, um, business security. continuity, disaster recovery. Yep. 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 Um, E-discovery, so we're helping legal the, uh, the legal team find and, and collect data. Yeah. Uh, anti-fraud, uh, I've got IT contracts. What does anti-fraud mean for you? It's not internal fraud. It might be, but rarely it is. It is looking for people on the outside that are abusing our systems, yeah. trying to glean bits of data. Interesting. Any kind of information that's out there is useful to somebody, and everybody who has a machine exposed to the internet is being used by somebody uh, whether you know it or not, right. right? And it's being used in ways that you don't, you don't, you never expect. Sure. And so what we found over the years is that a lot of our tools are being used by other people for some other intent, and it could be something as easy as testing credit cards. Hmm. So we're trying to get new customers. We've got self-service flows. You can you can go to our web page and sign up, uh, and enter a credit card, and we'll tell you if the credit card is good or bad, right? So they, and so people will hang out on our website all day long testing credit cards. So you, you become their way of knowing if that cache of credit cards they found is that's, good that's and how right. many are still good. That's right. It's, it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cheap tool. Yeah. Anyhow, so the anti-fraud team, they, they look at a lot of our traffic pattern and they try to find patterns in our traffic logs yeah. and identify people that are abusing us. Sorry, I, I cut you off. You were going through your teams. Yeah, so uh, IT finance uh, also rolls up to my, uh, within my department, and um, security architecture. Gotcha. I think that's about so, it. So you've, you've grown quite a few teams. We've grown quite a bit. Yeah, our provisioning team is actually split into two teams. We have an identity management team, and then we have an access management team. So the access management team, they're the ones that uh, are working all the tickets and making sure that all the automations are working. Yeah. And then the identity management team, they're the ones that are building all those automations. Yep.
So I, I, you, you started into this because you were going to talk about the project you're most proud of, and I think oh, you were yeah. going down the fraud road. Yeah, so on the fraud side, what we identified is uh, a bunch of bad guys, and, we, and no one knew this was going on. It took us 18 months of digging to find this out, but a bunch of bad guys were, uh, were using um, our resources to find out if, uh, if, if certain identifiers, like phone numbers, if they belong to a customer or not. Okay. And if, if they did, then um, they would uh, do things to that account to, uh, to make money. I can, I can start to imagine some of the ways they might do that. And, yeah, so and, uh, I'm very proud that we found this. Yeah. And what we ended up doing is we, uh, we ended up uh, randomizing the account numbers that we assigned to subscribers. Yeah. Uh, because that's, that's the identifier they were using, actually, sure. is the account number. So how, how visible was that type of a project in your company? Is that something that you know, CFO cared about, CIO cared yep. about? Who, who, who had visibility there? Every, everyone, everyone realized the impact of it. Yeah. Uh, and it had to go to, to, it didn't quite go to Charlie, but it had to go to the top for approval. Yeah. And, um, Is that a win that got, went to Charlie, though, when it was done? Uh, I doubt it. No, okay. I doubt it. And I wasn't doing board updates at the time. Now I do sure. board updates. Charlie's on the board, so he would have heard it firsthand, yeah. but that was years ago. Right. Um, but yeah, so getting getting a company to change how they assign account numbers to subscribers, and keep in mind that we were we were doing twenty five thousand account numbers a day. Yeah, so right? it's a big. It's so a big randomizing part. that, working with our partner, it's all mainframe based. Yeah, getting all that changed is uh, is it's not a small feat. No, that's that's pretty great. Um, so what about you know you've been there long enough that you've you've hopefully tried lots of stuff that was very difficult. Do you have any any stories of projects you've done that maybe didn't work that you failed on and that you learned something from? Um, projects or tools. There's, there's been a lot of tool failures. Or initiatives or how yeah yeah we there's been a number of of, of things like that. They're they're yeah. not they're not huge. Luckily we we fail fast and we, sure. we move on. Um, but I'm you know thinking through some tools. We we bought a tool to uh, help us manage firewall rules better. Um, but the operations team didn't, they weren't fans, they didn't have buy-in. Yeah. And so we didn't get the data we needed, so. So, so is that like the, uh, yeah, I'll say a few names, like the, the, the Tufin, Firemon, AlgoSec. Yeah. Um, that whole yeah, genre it's, of it's one of it's something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. 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 Fantastic tool. Yeah. And when you actually have the right data, it was very, very effective. Yeah. But if you don't have the right data, like everything else in security, right? right. If you don't have the data, it's not going to work. So, so you, you bought the tool. You, you said, hey, guys, go implement this. What happened? First of all, we had to get the right permissions, uh, the right log levels. Yeah. And a lot of these tools, they only work if they can log back into the firewall and actually pull configs. Yeah. Um, that's the breakdown. Hmm. So the, uh, the operations team, they, they didn't want us to have a, a security tool logging in and scraping config files. So what was the what was the resolution out of that? We no longer have the tool. <laughs> and, and and is there a lesson you, you got out of that that you know you, you took you've taken forward from there? The buy-in is the biggest lesson, right. but I, you know I even thought I thought we had buy-in to be yeah. honest. Um, but yeah, you have to you have to have buy-in from all parties, and you have to keep reiterating what the benefits are. Yeah, it sounds like you know the relationships there, right? It maybe maybe you thought you had buy-in, maybe the relationship wasn't quite where it needed yeah. to be at that time. That's right. Yeah, and that was that was early on. Yeah. So uh, since then, I think we, if we brought a tool like that in now, it would be largely successful. Yeah, and it would it would help us you know kind of vet our firewall change requests too. Yeah. 
So you were hired in 2010 as the, the director of security, and, and you're... And I, was it a year and a half ago, maybe, you were promoted? It was at the end of 15, yeah. So yeah, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, you were promoted to, to vice president in CISO? Vice president in CISO, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think it was? You know, I'll tell you, it's, it's not all that common that someone gets promoted um, after that long at a company. That's, right. It, it's generally, you get kind of thrown into, it seems to me, like generally people get kind of put in a box as this is your level and that's... That's right. where you'll be. Yeah. What do you think it was that changed the dynamics? Was it was it you know your relationships or was it the, kind of the the market in general changing? What do you think? You know, I think it's a bit of everything. So there were a lot of breaches, and the and the publicity of breaches has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger each year. Yeah. And I I, I leverage those right. Never never let a good incident go to waste. So um, I I capitalized on all the things that were happening external to Dish, and at the same time we were growing our program internally. And um, we had uh, we had implemented a uh, a really effective tool internally that, that touched everybody. They all like it. Um, we had moved a lot of our services to the cloud. The, a lot of these were security initiated services or uh, right. efforts. Um, so we were we were showing some value there. We brought on uh, we built a brand new e-discovery team that, that was new a couple of years ago. So as a result of all of these accomplishments, everything else going out in the world. A lot of new chief information security officers being defined. I, t I took that opportunity to go back to my management and said, "Hey, I'm already doing the job. Give yeah. me the give me the title." So you made the case for it. I did. And yeah. and, and was it um, did it take a while, or was it relatively quick, or what do you think? Uh, you know, it was an easier argument than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, upper management did not want any more chiefs. Yeah. Chief marketing, chief tech. They sure. Didn't, they didn't want any of that. And then, uh, so I made my case in 2014. Okay. And I was thinking that I was going to have to leave the company to go someplace else to, to, to earn that title or to, to achieve the title. Yeah. And uh, a year of stewing, upper management decided, okay, I'm, we're going to have some chiefs. So yeah. in, at the end of 2015, we ended up with a chief technology officer, a chief marketing officer, um, CISO. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, anyway, congratulations. This, this is huge. Nine of us were promoted that day. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. I, I don't remember you and I talked at the time. Um, it, it's it's a, it's a great accomplishment. You know what? What are you guys? Fortune two hundred somewhere? Uh, we're yeah one eighties. Yeah, I mean it, it's a a big accomplishment. So thank you. You should definitely be proud. Yeah. So, but you asked about failures. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. I've got I've got a couple more failures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the firewall policy manager thing was a failure. Um, I tried to do a homegrown uh, part of the anti fraud efforts. Uh, a homegrown tool using Snort. Mm -hmm. um, the tool seemed to work in the labs, but uh, it, it failed. It, it was never a f an effective tool in prod, hmm. and I'm not sure why that is. I suspect it wasn't getting the data that it, that it needed or the yeah. feeds that it needed. Um, but I also believe that my own team didn't fully believe in the in the solution either. Was that was that a case where you had a vision for where you wanted things to go, and, and maybe? push that vision down rather than seeing if it was reflected from yeah and it was a bit it was a bit kind of R&D-ish kind of idea yeah and so yeah it was my idea and I really just wanted them to execute on it yeah and I didn't I didn't socialize it very well I didn't get their buy-in and frankly I don't think they understood what we were trying to do I think that that, that really resonates with me as you know coming from a career of doing you know highly technical things and 
and, and, and you know you can imagine every step of the way how you get from idea to delivery and you say I'm just gonna hand it to someone else to go do the delivery <laughs> right. and they take a totally different path right yes and, and maybe they, they didn't really catch the vision in the first place so they're trying to take your vision and it doesn't work it does you know? not work it's, you gotta, we have to share that anyway it resonates with me I think thanks for sharing that yeah you've got to socialize it and you you really have to kind of walk through and even follow up, right? It's all about delegation. Yeah. It, and it's it's funny, you know, as a as a people leader, how we can sometimes think, well, all you do is manage at this point, and, and, and you know, hey, you need to be more involved in technology. And, and we think of it as being a good thing, but man, sometimes being too involved in the technology is really a bad thing, as it as it you know disempowers, unempowers the the folks underneath you who are supposed to be doing that job. That's right. And and if you get too involved in their business. They can't. They can't make decisions because they're paralyzed, wondering if it aligns with yours. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough balance. Development and delegation. That's what it, yeah. that's what it boils down to. Did you have a, a third? I do, share? but it's not a very fun one. Um, <laughs> it's it's a key safe. It's an enterprise key safe for uh-huh. apps. For apps like and a people. Secret, a secret. Yeah. Management yeah. System. And uh, another three-year tool that we paid for that never got used. Yeah. What was your lessons there? Oh man, was this? I, I had, I had. See, I had buy-in for this one. Yeah. All the all the appropriate teams that were part of the proof of concepts, yeah. and we we did real. It was a real life uh, POCs with the vendor, and and everything worked. And then we we bought it, and when it came time to actually implement it in Prod, no one trusted it. Even the guys that that worked on the development pieces to get it customized to, to work in the POC. So was there concern just availability? It wasn't going to run when they needed it to run. Uh, it was. It, it may have been some of our application stacks that we were hoping to solve. Yeah. And and, and in hindsight, we may have sold it as this overall solution that that ends password management, and the guys that were supposed to implement it for their tools, they had a certain stack in mind. And we never actually tested with that stack. Mm. And um, web methods, I'll mention it, it's web yeah. methods and it didn't work. Wow. So because it didn't work for the one that, that the problem child they wanted to solve, why they bother? decided it wasn't yeah. good for anything else. Yeah, why bother if you, yeah. can't, you can't do it? Everywhere. I want to solve that problem. Right. <laughs> but they're all tools. Yeah. So, and, and really, I think, you know, one of the things I experience at Ping and, and at Pulte and Harland, places, other places I've been is, if you get if you get your purchasing in front too early in the process, you doom the project, right? I think we the and that's what I've seen. If I buy a tool before I have buy-in on the implementation plan and the yes that I'm going to give you resources, there's yeah. this there's this lack of there's this presumption by me that I'm going to get those things, and I think there's a little people don't appreciate that, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, I need to make sure procurement comes rightly at the very end. And I, I, I work pretty hard on that because you know we were talking about it today. Um, you know, end of, end of quarter when when you get to the end of quarter, vendors push pretty hard to close a deal. And hey, I'll I'll cut that price you know by twenty percent, but it's only good till the end of the quarter. And they push hard, and it's, it'd be tempting to say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to buy that solution, right. and why yeah. not take this this yeah. killer deal? Um, but I, I think it's 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 not a good thing to have it in pocket as you go have the conversation about do you have capacity to help me implement it. Right, right. Well, one thing that I've learned recently is for these for the larger tools, because we're talking, we're talking to over 20,000 uh, 20, people at Dish. Yeah. For these larger tools, we'll just buy a very, very small set of licenses POC. and do an extended pilot. Right. Right. That way I'm buying it 
the vendor is not necessarily happy that I didn't buy 22,000 licenses, yeah. but I bought five. And we could try it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, then not a lot of, it, of investment's gone, uh, gone bad. You mean 5,000 5, or five licenses? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's usually around 100 to 5,000, depending on what the tool is. Okay. You need a good sample set. Yeah. Right. So let's let's talk about you know current day. What is in you know your 2017, 2018? What are you, what is it you're going to try and accomplish? Where where are your ways that you can improve dishes uh, security or, or risk posture going forward? Yeah. So one of our well, email security is top of mind. Sure. We most of our attacks these days are through email, and uh, doesn't require much sophistication to do yeah. those attacks. And, and they work. It's amazing. It's amazing all the companies that are out there that fall for these W two scams. Yeah. So just kind of, you know, having proper hygiene on the on the email is is, is de definitely top of mind. Uh, but also improving our, our data. So we have a lot of different data sources now going into our sim, and we want to use the sim for more automated uh, threat intel and, and correlation. Yeah. But if the data is bad, or if we're not, or if we're missing some of the data then we're not getting good data. So I'm really focused on um, improving our data going into the mm -hmm. sim. Enough so that I'm hiring, I'm hiring two people to do that. Is that data scientists? No, it's, it's more of a data architecture than okay. data science. I'm not asking them to analyze the data, I'm asking them to make sure the data is pure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so you know, I think we met maybe two years ago. I, I feel like it was at Avanta two no, years ago. No, it was longer than that. Three years it ago? It was out in Baltimore. Was that Gartner? Oh, we met at Gartner, yeah. Yeah, I think so you were stalking. I, I was actually, uh, I was talking at Gartner that year. It was, it was, it was three years ago? Whatever. Possibly, yeah. So you, you know, you, you're sort of involved in this, the Colorado security community. Why don't you talk about, you know, what, what you do around town and, and what, you know, wh where you're engaged? Yeah, I'm trying to get more and more engaged. Yeah. I, I keep getting these these oddball projects thrown at me yeah. that, that take up all my time. Yeah, uh, I was doing Avanta for a little while. Um, yeah, you were on the board for Avanta, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was on the board for a couple of years. Did you do Secure World too? Do I remember that? Um, I think I was supposed to, but I couldn't make it. Okay. And and that's that's kind of how things happen. Is yeah. Is I have every intention of going, but something flares up at work and I, I can't get out. So, yeah. um, I'm I'm trying to, I'm I'm trying to get back into that space. And sure. I, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not there yet. So. Yeah. It's it's hard to find it's hard to find free time, right? It's, yeah. It's always a challenge for all of us. I you know I want to do more. I, I want to have I want to have a, uh, a a group of, of people that can get together and, and share ideas and help help maybe smaller organizations yeah. uh, achieve their security needs. Um, I don't think that we need to you know rely on vendors for all of that. Yeah. I think we can help that way, and I want to do that, but I'm not sure what the right what the yeah. right venue is for that. Uh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, you're going to be on the, a panel at RMISC coming up in May. You're on the, the Colorado CISO panel yep. that Alex Wood's going to be moderating. Um, I think it's the Thursday morning, like 11, 11 a.m., something, something like, like that. that. 11 20. We, we've got you know, yourself. Um, we have Sarah Griffith, who's the CISO for Euronet. We have uh, Nancy Phillips, the CISO for DataVale. Uh, I'll be on the panel. And uh, Dale Drew, the. CISO over at uh, level three is going to be is going to be on the panel. So cool. we should have an interesting group of folks to yeah. to talk about what we're doing in security. A kind of a mix of of the larger enterprises, you know, with, with you and, and Dale. Um, and Euronet's also large, although not headquartered here in Denver. And then a couple of smaller ones with with, uh, with Nancy and myself. Yeah. 
So that should be fun. Uh, well, you know, what else do you want? Anything else you want to talk about the community? Anything you want to share? Um, I don't know. Going back to what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. How can, how can we build that? Yeah. The well, who who do you want to who do you want to talk with? You want to talk with people who are running those security groups, or you or security departments, or you want to talk to IT people, or who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to people who want to build an effective security program and don't know where to start. So it's, it's not it's not necessarily a consulting gig, but there's some lessons learned. Yeah. Right, start here, build build an information classification program first. Right, is that the first thing you do? That's the first thing I did. Hmm. How do you how do you talk about data if you don't know how to classify it? Interesting. So we didn't have we didn't have a program at Dish. Yeah. So that was that was the first thing that we had to do was define what what was public data versus private data versus restricted data. Yeah. What's sensitive? You have to know what's important. You do. What's worth protecting. Yeah. And then you you socialize that and you start talking about well, do I have any sensitive data that's exposed? Yeah. Uh, and that's been a big effort of, of ours over the past probably four years, is defining uh, defining what Dish data is. Those are yeah. in quotes. Uh, air quotes, this data is and what protections need to be on those things going uh, as that data goes from party to party, like a third party yeah. processor. So I'm just thinking about your, your question about how do we build something that's to help folks who, who need to know where to start. I think generally, you know, my own involvement with ISSA and all the other, you know, there's CSA and ISACA and OWASP, all these groups in town, uh, they really, we kind of, preach to the choir, right? We're talking to security professionals yep. about how to do security, which makes perfect sense because that's who cares the most. But, 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 but that's but, not where you're talking about. But coming into this like. field, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about myself back in 2010, yeah. right? I didn't know where to go. I had to go to vendors to get yeah. to get any kind of advice. And then do you even trust the advice or do you solicit enough advice that you kind of aggregate the, the, the advice and, and make some heads or tails out of it? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of... And, and if, if I were to go to one of those organizations, I would feel like a fish out of water. If you were, like to an ISSA type yeah, of group? Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start. Hmm. So it's the introduction to security group. It, it really feels to me like you don't want to market a group like that to security people. You want to market it to IT people or maybe even or business to, people. To business people, yes. Yeah, to, yeah. to your... To the board or... CFO, CEO groups. Sure. You know, it, it, it wouldn't be hard. Honestly, the content would be really pretty easy to it put would together, be. right? Because it's stuff that we it's just, stuff just that we know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it wouldn't be that hard to find those groups. I've actually had the chance to talk to a couple of those, but it's, it's all been ad hoc. There was there was one last year that I got asked to talk at a business group at the met at the cable center at DU. It was a bunch of small business owners and, and the CFOs of those groups and talked about, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of starting your security program. Right. And so that right. Con I, I already created that content yeah. from my perspective, and I delivered it to two different groups. And I think Alex has given a similar talk at once or twice. But the question is, how do you find, how do you recurringly find those avenues yes. to, to talk to those people? Yeah, and, and kind of market the market the interest levels, right? Yeah. The, yeah. So I went to a, I, I participated in a uh, in an exercise like a, it was a uh, a hackers and defenders kind of exercise. And it was interesting because I was one of the few security people in the exercise. Hmm. There were a, a couple of attorneys, um, a CIO, CFO, that sort of thing. And these guys didn't know anything about the whole exercise. They, they didn't understand it. 
and it was it was kind of interesting standing aside and watching their reactions yeah. as they were picking and choosing how they were going to battle each other. Yeah. Um, and those are the people that you want to talk to. Yeah. I mean, there's the Colorado Technology Association. Yes, but, that's a good one. But even that, even that group has a pretty decent foundation of security, right? It, it might be a good place to start. They do now. But... But they're they're still they're pretty technical, right? They're gonna yep. they're gonna understand the fundamentals. I'm not sure where you go for the for the non technical business folks who pro, who we both need to talk to. Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good conversation. You know, for those who are listening, you know, send a note send a note to you know info at colorado-security.com with uh, with your thoughts um, suggestions. I'll make sure to you know to help plug you in with John, and we'll hopefully find a way to, to start start doing something like that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been there and done it. Yeah, right. It wouldn't be too tough to, to find the content, and, and I, I suspect that it'd be a pretty big value add. So a couple more questions before we before we call it a, an interview here. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for those who are looking to get into security? You know, somebody who you might want to hire in the future, or or just, you know, hey, I think security sounds cool. What do you tell them right. they should do? Well, I can't help but think about my first pet peeve. So yeah. in an interview, when I'm interviewing a new junior level candidate and they tell me they want to be a hacker, yeah. I, I can't stand that. Hmm. Everybody wants to be a hacker, right? I want defenders. I want people that are willing to look through data and try to find ways in which we're exposed and to help us defend, hmm. right? And, and nobody, has, there's no glamour in that. But that's, that's really what we need. That's where, the, that's where you're adding the value. Yeah, and start, I, and start at the ground level. Look, at, look at, the, at the basic, like, you know, help run a sim. Sure. That, that, that part is a very good intro level to security. Yeah, and you can get that experience, you, know, you can get paid for it. Go, go work for Alchemy Security or, or GB Protect or uh, IntelliSecure, who, who are, I think, generally looking for, those are local MSPs here in yep. town, generally looking for people who are either entry level or, or very close to entry level yep. and they'll train you. They'll, and, they'll train you, yeah. spend a couple of years there, hone some skills, and then, yeah. and then go to an enterprise and, uh, and help them out. Right, that's great. So we need help. What about for other people who were maybe not quite in your position, but where you were a few years ago? Someone who's you know, been running a security program for a little bit, they're looking to get to the next level. Uh, what, what do you think that they need to do to differentiate and, and, and add value to their organization in a way that's going to advance their career? Yeah, I think they need to look internally. Most, most often, I think the, the gut reaction is to look externally. They need to look internally, pretend like it's a brand new job. Hmm. Go do those interviews. Go figure out what's broken. And during that time, you market yourself. Yeah. you got to market yourself and show your worth. And that way you can come back, and if you do this on a, on a regular basis, you can come back and you can say, hey, look, I've demonstrated this. Yeah. And I've seen people do that internally at DISH to me, where I had a low opinion of them a couple of years ago, and they've, they've kept coming back to me and, and talking to me and demonstrating what they've done, and it's like, wow, you know, you're, you're actually doing it. Yeah. And of course, you're mentoring them too along the way, kind of in an ad hoc fashion. Yeah. And if, if, uh, if you have enough time with that individual and they do that, then that's those become your people that you want to have on your team. Yeah, and I would I just add to that, when you do those interviews, you know this is this is very valuable face time. You don't want to look like an idiot. You want to you know if you're going to get time from whoever it is, whether it's a you know a senior executive in your company or a peer, when you ask for their time, show up prepared for the conversation. Yep. Um, don't cancel on them. Don't be late. Just oh, take advantage yeah. of this time to to have that right. Yep. Be a few minutes right. early. Yeah. Um, be polite. Notes. Don't chew, don't chew gum. This is an interview. These are all, these are all interviews. Every interaction you have is an interview. Yeah. 
Well, that's, that's all I had for you. Anything else you wanted to chat about here, John? No, but I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. This is fun. This so is my, fun. My hope is, you know, we'll get, you know, we'll get together with you in a year or so. We'll see where you've gone in the last year. Uh, update us on your on your journey. And Might be two years. It's, it's not. It's not that adventurous. Well, we'll, we'll see how things okay. go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And this right. is a this has been another Colorado Equal Security feature interview. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.